Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. You know, something that I heard over and over again while we were at camp is camp changes lives. Camp changes lives. When we brought the kids back Friday, we got home late Friday evening. One of the girls that's not here this morning, she doesn't, our church is not their home church. She just came with us and her dad came up to me and I was just kind of telling him the experience. And he said this exact same thing. He said, I know that camp changes lives. Camp changed my life. When I was 14 years old, I gave my life to Christ and my life was forever changed. Camp changes lives. And, and there's a lot of people that will say, well, of course it changes lives. You know, the atmosphere, it's perfect. It's designed for young people. It takes away all their distractions. It does all these things. Like that's not realistic for everyday life. Why not? Why not? We should that make that realistic for their lives every single day in this church in our homes, in our families, that should become a reality from our young people is that they feel the presence of God when they walk into our homes, when they're in the car riding with us, everywhere they go, that should be realistic, that they can feel the presence of God. So I don't want to hear that. Well, it happened at camp. Like they're not going to take that with them. They will take it with them. I will make sure of it. Will you make sure of it? Amen. So I bet you guys don't know what I'm talking about today. Do you? I'm a little fired up. Pastor Chris, he had a message back in January um, to go back a little bit in December. We had talked about what did we really want to focus on this year? And so as a staff, we just kept praying and seeking the Lord about what it is that the Lord wanted us to focus on. And we all came up with the conclusion of family. We just kept hearing God say family, family, family. So uh, Pastor Chris came up with a, a thing and he called it D6 family. And his message in January was based off of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to start there. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He made a statement that stuck with me. He said, The family is under attack. Satan is going after the family. There are lies being told to every generation And it's slowly breaking down what God designed. What Pastor Chris spoke about was inside of our homes to build our families, the things that we could do, and it focused on the heart, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But what I want to talk about today is what we can do on the outside of our homes to build back the foundation of the family. So let's jump down to verse 6. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Repeat that, on your gates. Our outside defenses are broken down. How do I know? I'm going to share a few statistics with you. So when we were preparing for... um, you know, what we were going to be focusing on in the new year, I started just reading into families and and what are our young people, what are they struggling with? Like, how can we build back our families for Christ? And there are three categories that children and young people are most interested in. The very first one is identity. Number two is belonging. 44% of young people struggle with loneliness. That is almost half. Half of our young people feel completely alone. Even kids that grow up in homes that have two parents, they feel alone. And the last one is purpose. 75% of young people want purpose. I had a youth pastor, this is what he used to say, is you are more than just sucking air. Young people want to know that they are here to do just more than breathe. They want purpose for their life. And when we fail to give them those three things, it leads to this next statistic. That's a hard thing to say altogether. 75% of young people leave the church after the age of 18. 75%. That's huge. 
the Barna Group did a study, and it was over a period of about 30 years. And they did what's called revolutionary parenting style. So they studied all different kinds of parenting. So there was one that was called trial and error parenting. And about 35% of people did this type of parenting style where, hey, we try something. If we mess up, no big deal. We just, you know, keep going like this. It's, it's really not, you know, just, you know, go with the flow. We don't have to read anything. We don't have to know anything. We're just going to figure it out. The other style of parenting, another 35%, they just say, we just let the kids do whatever, and we're going to let them figure it out. That's basically the, the parenting style is just, eh, I mean, they'll figure it out on their own. But there was one group of parenting, one group, 25% of these parents did something that was called revolutionary parenting. And what they studied when they looked at these type of parents, or this was the type of family that they had a family scripture that they quoted on a daily basis, that their kids knew from the time that they could talk, they could say this verse, that they ate meals together as a family, that they prayed together as a family, that they went to church together as a family. They served on a church team together as a family. 25% of parents did this. Does that not match up with everything that I just said? If 75% of young people are leaving the church, it's only the 25% of those kids that are coming out of revolutionary parenting that are staying. What category are you going to fall under? We are in a war for our families, not against them. We have to do better and we have to be better to reach the lost and to teach the next generation. We have to build back better. I know a lot of you guys probably saw my title slide. Might have freaked some of y'all out. I know. Listen, it belonged to God way before it belonged to anybody else. So that's who we're going to look at today. We're going to look at someone in the Bible that was a way better builder than anybody else. If you'll turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah and with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the servant your to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants the people of Israel i confess the sins we israelites including myself and my father's family have committed against you we have acted wickedly towards you we have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you give your servant moses lord god i just come to you this morning Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open. God, I pray that we would just hear the words that you would speak to us. God, our nation, our homes, they are in danger. God, I pray that we can build them back, Lord, to be homes, families, and a nation that honor you. Oh, God, burden our hearts, Lord, for the sins, Lord, of our families and of our nation. God, may we hear your words today. And everybody said, amen. So let me just kind of catch you up as to where we, we are at this point in history. It's about 445 B.C. Second Chronicles tells us in 36, second, 17, that the walls were ter- torn down and the gates were burned in about 586 or 587 B.C. The temple was rebuilt in 515, but not the walls. So here we are 70 years later. The wall has been in ruins for 140 years. So... Why was Nehemiah so distraught about the wall? I mean, the temple's been rebuilt. That's a good thing, right? Some of the Israelites, they've already gone back with Ezra the priest. So what is he so upset about? He hears the wall is broke down and he's completely distraught. He sat down and he wept. He wept about the state his heritage was in because he knew with the wall broken down that the people would be susceptible to outside influences. They had no security. 
They were defenseless and humiliated. There was nothing to protect them, nothing to protect their faith. But most importantly, the broken down wall showed that they feared men, not God. They were too scared to go and rebuild the wall because they were worried about the enemy coming against them. They were more worried about man than they were about what God thought. To do worthy work rebuilding the walls, you must first weep over the ruins. If we're going to rebuild our nation to honor God, we must be burdened by sin. At service this week, I told you Wednesday. Wednesday was such a powerful service. At one point, Reggie Dabbs, the speaker, he had all the girls come forward. And he had all the boys stand behind them. And he had all the boys say this to the girls. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've objectified you. I'm sorry I haven't honored you. I'm sorry I haven't protected you. And for, it probably wasn't very long, maybe five seconds, but it felt like a really long time. There was just a stillness. And all of a sudden you just hear, weeping, just outright weeping of these young women that have been hurt because they didn't have a dad to protect them. They've been looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) They'd been sexually assaulted, some of them. And then to hear the young men weeping behind them, Our nation is in trouble. Our kids are in trouble if they think it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. It is not okay. Not one of those girls should have been able to stand there and feel that way. Not one. And those young men, they should know better. Dads, stand up and raise your young men to be better. Raise your young girls to know that they deserve better. Weep. Be burdened. By the state that our nation is, that our homes are in. These, most of these kids, they're good Christian kids. Most of those guys that are good Christian boys struggle with pornography. I'm talking addicted. Be burdened by this sin. And it's all because our defenses are broken down. What have you allowed into your homes? What have you allowed? Nehemiah wasn't just burdened by the report he received. He decided to take action. I said the people had been back in Jerusalem with Ezra the priest for 13 years now, and they had still done nothing to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah 1 verse 11. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cut bare to the king. At first, I thought he was just stating his occupation. Like, oh, okay, we get it. But when I looked, does anybody notice he used a past tense verb in a present tense phrase? I was cut bare to the king. Nehemiah had already decided in his mind that he was going to do something That occupation that he had before, it is now past tense because he is going to do something. He knew that God would give him favor and that he wouldn't be cut bare to the king anymore. He was set out to take action. You know what else it tells us is just because you don't hold a title doesn't mean that you can't do something for the kingdom of God. Nehemiah wasn't a contractor. He wasn't a priest or a prophet. He was cut bare to the king. He was just an ordinary man who was burdened to do something. Nehemiah showed more raw zeal for God than even the prophets, if you ask me. Just an ordinary man with no title. Sometimes the only title you need to do something is mom. That can be the title. Dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, church volunteer, preschool teacher, go kids teacher. For real. The only thing that you need is to be burdened and have a zeal for God. That's it. That's all you have to do to take action. You know what I love about this book? Everybody, 
I just want someone to take a guess. How many miracles are in the book of Nehemiah? Zero. There are zero miracles in the book of Nehemiah. It's all about happens when the people of God pray hard, work hard, and trust God. That's it. I don't know if anybody else, sometimes I just feel like I'm just praying for God to do something. Just do a miracle. God's just waiting for us to show up and work hard. He's just waiting for us to be faithful. And we're screaming at him to do something. He's like, just show up. That's all you got to do. Nehemiah 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Can I just stop there for a second? Is anybody else thankful for that thing on the Bible app where you can push it and he reads to you and tells you how to pronounce everything. If you saw my notes up here, like in parentheses, I always have how to like sound it out. So I don't sound super, not a moron when I come up here and talk in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the King. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the King asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild. He had the guts to be downcast in the presence of the king. You weren't allowed to be sad in the presence of the king. You were in the presence of the king. You're supposed to be grateful that you could just even be there, that you could be next to him. But what I loved is at this point, Nehemiah's heart didn't belong to the king anymore. Nehemiah's heart belonged to God. So he didn't worry anymore about what the king would do. He was more worried about what God would do if he disobeyed what God called him to do. It could have been his death, but it would have been much worse if he wouldn't have answered the call that God put on his life. So where does your heart belong? Does it belong to God? Or does it belong to winning favor with people? You're going to have to answer that question if you're going to do something incredible for God. So God granted him favor and he set out to rebuild for three days. He investigated the broken down wall. He had to see it with his own eyes. He had to come up with a plan of how they're going to put this wall back together in chapter two, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble. We everybody say we, we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us everybody say us. Rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Even though he hadn't been there, he took ownership. He didn't play the blame game. Anybody do that? Want to blame everybody else in your life for why you aren't where you're supposed to be or why your home's not where it's supposed to be? We got to take the blame too. We're all in it together. But he did point out things that should be obvious. The wall is in ruins. The gates have been burned down. I feel like if I was the people, they've been living there, they know. But can I tell you, there's a big difference in the wall is in ruins. Gates are burned down. Is that motivating? But after Nehemiah just spent three days investigating the wall, weeping, Over the ruins, it came out more. The wall is in ruins. The gates, the gates have been burned down. There's a difference. There is a difference when your heart is in it. It took one person that hadn't even been there to open their eyes to see the ruins that they had been living in. They didn't see the devastation anymore. They were comfortable in their way of living. They had gotten used to it. We live in a world where kids are used to it, 
where we are used to it. We are used to kids struggling with pornography. We are used to kids struggling with identity. We are used to people lying. We are used to people not standing up for God. We are used to people sinning, period. We are used to it. Used to it. I don't want to be used to it anymore. Anymore. It took one man with a burdened heart and a zeal from God to open their eyes to see how truly devastating the ruins were. The ruins that tell the story of their abandonment of God by choosing the ways of the world over the righteous way of living that God had called them to. The ruins represent compromise after compromise where they traded in their faith for wickedness. Brick by brick, the wall was broken down. Nebuchadnezzar may have been the person that God used to tear the wall down and burn the gates, but make no mistake, it was the sins of the people that caused it. The sins of the people are what broke that wall down. So the people are left with a choice. If you start, others will follow. Verse 18, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. It took one person to motivate the people to do what was right, and they all joined together to build the wall. We get to chapter 3 in Nehemiah. If you read through it, guys, it can seem very boring. Like, it's just a, it's a lot. Let's be honest. Like, you just kind of, it's one of those, you see a lot of names that you definitely can't pronounce. I can't. Even the guy on the Bible app can't pronounce them, I'm pretty sure. And you kind of just want to skim through it. But here's the thing, it's important. It lists the name of all of the builders and the names of all the families that are involved. How incredible that for generations to come, they could look through those names and know that they were a part of something incredible. They were a part of a small remnant of captives of Judah with simple trust in God that set themselves to rebuild. They were few in numbers, resources, and surrounded by the enemy. No other rebuilding in history can compare to this instance. It took every person, regardless of their skill set or trade, all classes of society, even women and children, they did it together. If you read chapter three, the phrase next to him or them is used over 15 times next to them, next to them. You are not alone. When you want to start rebuilding for God, you are not alone. He's going to put somebody next to you, next to them, next to them. Next to them, repeat 15 times, guys. Next to them, next to them. You are not alone. Families repaired their homes together, each in charge of their own homes and areas. Listen, you know, Nehemiah was smart because if he would have put everybody in one place at the same time, how many of y'all know nothing would have gotten done? Put a bunch of A personalities together, that wall would have stayed broken down in ruins for eternity. Nothing's gonna happen. But Nehemiah knew that if he set them to work on the thing that mattered most to them, that wall would get built. That's a huge motivating factor. God made it that way for a reason. We should be motivated by our families to do something, to make a difference. But what happens uh, when we start to work hard and do something awesome for God? Does anybody know what happens? The enemy takes notice. He takes notice. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring those stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? I'm going to stop and I'm going to read that last part one more time. Can they bring those stones back to life, the heaps of rubble burned as they are? You know what I love about this story? They weren't just making new bricks. If you read chapter three, you can note of the word repair. They weren't starting from scratch. They were using the ruins. 
They used burned dead bricks to rebuild. What a lesson here. Every brick represents where faith was compromised so long ago. God forced them to take a long, hard look around at all of the choices that they had made while they're rebuilding. Can you just imagine picking up that brick? Oh, I remember this one. Honor the Lord your God. Put that one back in place. We need that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You shall have no other gods before me. They weren't just repairing that wall physically. They were repairing themselves spiritually as well. What an incredible, incredible thing for us to see. Maybe some of you this morning, you feel dead spiritually. You have the enemy believing that God can't use you. I know a God that brings dead things back to life. He can bring you back to life this morning. He can use you. If he could use burned bricks to rebuild a wall, he can use you. He can bring you back to life. You see, the enemy's words, they were meant as an insult. And yet, God proved them wrong. He proved them wrong. They worked hard, and they prayed harder. Verse 4, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And then we get to verse 6. Verse 6 is my challenge to all of you today. In the face of the enemy. Verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. What did they do when the enemy came? So we rebuilt the wall. Opposition came. We didn't do anything different. We just kept building. Some of you need to know that this morning. When the enemy comes against you, you don't stop. You do not stop. You keep working hard. You keep pushing forward. Even when he tells you that you're not doing anything, you're not going anywhere, your life's worth nothing, you keep going. Somebody today needs to say, the enemy is a liar. You just need to say it out loud. The enemy is a liar. He is a liar. But we have gotten so used to his lies. And some of you don't even know their lies because you don't know the truth of God's word. You will never know what a lie is unless you know the truth. So if you're struggling with him lying to you this morning, you're feeling downcast, like you can't do anything. You need to get in the word of God, speak life into yourself and speak against the enemy. Keep working hard. Don't stop. Persevere. If you stop now and you think times are bad now, you will not make it. I assure you, you will not make it. Work hard. Pray harder. The halfway point, it can make or break you guys. This is where they are at this point. It says they reached half the height of the wall and they worked with all their heart. That halfway point, it'll get you. It'll get you. Verse seven. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, has anybody noticed? The enemy's growing a little bit. Last time it was just a few. He just keeps getting more people to join his party. The enemy will do that, guys. He will expand himself. He will surround you. He's going to do everything he can. They heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. I want you to underline that and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. The enemy came against them when they heard they were closing the gaps. That last little bit of weakness. That last little bit where the enemy could get in. They didn't like that. The enemy does not like it when you start reaching that point. 
when you're starting to build yourself back up spiritually, you're building your family back up. He wants to hit all of those exposed places. They have a choice to make here. They can look at that rubble. Like they said, they saw all the rubble. They let themselves be downcast just for a moment. They lost perspective. Those ruins that before offered so much hope. Now all of a sudden they look and and they're in despair. Instead of seeing how far they've come, they just think, oh, we still have so far to go. Any of you guys feel that way sometimes? You feel like you're really, you're just making it. And then the enemy tells you, ah, you just, you still have so far to go. Is it even worth it? Is it worth it to keep? It is worth it to keep going. Look at how far you've come. Let that be your motivator. I've come so far. And one of my favorite phrases is, I used to be one way, but now I'm another way. Let that motivate you to keep going. They couldn't stop, guys. They had to rebuild the wall because the enemy's numbers are growing and the jeering is no longer just uh, making fun of them. It's starting to turn to threats of destruction because if the enemy can't defeat you with words, he will turn to action. Will you be ready? Nehemiah was ready. Verse 11, also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. I want you to underline that one too. Exposed places. Posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. We've got work to do, guys. And it starts in the home. Every stat that I shared with you this morning is solved in this book. Building together gave them a sense of purpose and belonging. Working together to rebuild the wall solidified their identity as a child of God. We have to rebuild together as a family. The enemy is right among our kids and he wants to destroy them and put an end to the work of the church. He does not want us to succeed. He wants to put an end to the work. I had you underline the exposed places. Oh, God hit me so hard with that. You can ask them at staff. I kind of shared this with them. It's been at least a month ago. We were in our prayer time and I was just reading through that and I read the exposed places and God just said, station yourself at the exposed places. That's where we failed. We've had a generation of people that are struggling. Depression is through the roof. Anxiety is through the roof. Addiction to drugs, pornography is through the roof. Why were we not stationed at the exposed places? That's where we have to be at. I hear parents say stuff all the time. I just don't know what to do. They won't talk to me. You station yourself there until they talk to you. You station yourself and you pray until something changes. You don't leave that spot. As long as there is something exposed, as long as there is a hole in the wall, you stay there until it gets repaired. You don't get to leave. We have to station ourselves at the exposed places in their lives. You know, one thing uh, the young people told me while we were at camp, I know, I had this up here, and it probably went off a few times, and I did that on purpose. You want to know why they felt the presence of God? They were not on this. Not once. They would tell me, oh, Heather, I felt the presence of God even before worship started. It's because you didn't have your phone. Come on. You think I'm talking about the kids? Parents, you are just as guilty. You do it too. You do it too. I see more parents on their phones. I'm telling you, this is... This is. Kids are sitting next to him on the couch. Hold on, I gotta tell my fans. Oh, I mean my friends. On Facebook something. 
Hold on, let me, let me share my beliefs about what's going on in the world right now. They know what you believe. Do your kids know? I'm serious. Do your kids know what your foundation of beliefs are? You're happy to tell the whole world about it, but does your kid even know what you believe? Are you spending time talking with them, telling them in this home, we serve the Lord as for me and my house. The reason we believe the way that we do is because we honor God. Do you spend that time telling them or do you spend all your time telling them? Be present, be present in your kids' lives. Guys, I'm sorry if I'm fired up this morning, but I'm burdened by the ruins. The New York Times, they posted an article not too long ago, and this one, it really gets me. Treatment centers for mental health are full. So what they've been doing is kids that are struggling with mental health, they put them in the ER, in a room that has nothing. No windows, nothing. They have to sit there all alone, struggling with the lies that the enemy is putting in their head. Nobody to tell them anything different. Just sitting alone with no one to speak the truth to them, no one to love them, no one to give them kindness or grace. Absolutely nothing. And this goes on for weeks Sometimes weeks before a bed can open up. And they interviewed one young lady and she was in the ER for at least three weeks before a treatment center opened up. She was in and out of treatment center two times and went back home. Nothing ever changed. Nothing ever changed. Because she had to go right back home to an environment that did nothing for her. She should have never had to be in that treatment center in the first place, guys. Our kids should not struggle with these things. They should not. We have to do better. We have to do better. We have to fight for our families and not against them. When I was pregnant with my son, we didn't know what we were having yet. We were actually living in Colorado at the time, and we had come to Journey to visit. And Pastor Scott was preaching a message over Gideon. And I was just sitting, I think, up here in the front. And God all of a sudden spoke to me and said, you are going to have a son. And I'm going to be with him because he is going to be a mighty warrior for me. A few weeks later, God spoke to me again. This has not happened very often in my life for God to just, I mean, really just speak very, very clearly. And this is what I, he told me. What I am calling him to do will be hard. The enemy will come against him on every side. But I have called you to block the blow of the enemy. Then the Lord said, I will go before him and I will lead him into battle. Not you. I've called you to be beside him, shielding him. You guys might disagree with what I'm about to say, but I want you to hear me out till the end. It is not our job to lead our kids by walking in front of them. Only God has that title. We are to walk alongside them, guarding them, shielding them. If we're walking like this and they are behind us, do you have any idea what's going on back there? Especially if, wait for it. And then they're behind you like this. You didn't even see the enemy coming. You weren't even ready for it because your head was down. Think of a toddler. How many of you guys, when your kids first started to walk, did you just be like, okay, let's go? No, no. It's like this. Don't hit that coffee table. I got you. I got you. Oh, oh, look out. You never stop doing that ever. It doesn't matter how old they get. You never stop. Never stop being beside your kids, ever, ever. I'm 35 years old and I still need my mama sometimes. Anybody else? Never stop being beside your kids. We don't leave them to figure out their exposed places by themselves. We don't leave them to be defenseless against the enemy. We hold up the shield around our kids. 
You know, the first verse we ever taught our son was, but you, oh Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who holds my head high. Be a shield around your kids. You also have to set up a watch. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who surrounded or who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are wild, widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his own weapon, even when he went for water. They didn't take a break. They didn't stop. If I were to uh, say this where you guys would understand it, they didn't get me time. They didn't get like, it's just, I need me time. We can make fun of it, but it's so true. It's wine time because it's just so stressful. I just, I just need me time. We don't get that. And we shouldn't complain. God has called us to something great. Something great. We don't get to stop. I love the picture that it portrayed. They did work with one hand and were ready for battle in the other. Guys, you can be in the world and be ready for battle. You might work a secular job. Your kids might go to a secular school, but you've got this. And it should never leave you. If you don't have it here, you better have it here. Work with one hand. Hold your weapon in the other. Hold your weapon in the other. If you aren't ready to defend what you're working so hard on, you will never build. Never. Build, defend. Build, defend. You can't just start building and all of a sudden be like, "Ah, the enemy came against us, so we're just going to stop right there. Nothing will ever get done. To be a builder in the kingdom, God means to be a soldier. We are not called to be wimpy Christians. We are called to fight for God, to be a soldier ready for battle. Them just being prepared for battle kept them from going to war just because they were prepared. When you are prepared, the enemy can't watch a sneak attack. He won't catch you with your guard down. Make it hard for the enemy. Make it hard for him. Do not make it easy. Make it hard. Set up a watch day and night. I know I've had you for a while. I'm closing. I promise. We're getting there. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 6.15. Pastor Scott, if you'll go ahead and come. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Yil in 52 days. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. If you get to the end of the book of Nehemiah, everything in Judah is restored. Jerusalem is reconstructed. The temple had been rebuilt. The covenant is renewed. The people are reformed and the messianic line is intact. The only thing it lacked was a king. A king that wouldn't come for over 400 years. 
a king that would never sit on that throne. His throne was so much greater. They spent all this time building something, building a temple that got destroyed again, building walls that got destroyed again, but they built something that lasted, something that still exists today. They built the family of God. And that will never be destroyed as long as we continue their work. If the Lord builds the house, nobody, nobody, nobody can tear it down. I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to bring it all together. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, these are the commands decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life here Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates see how we brought it back gates if you don't rebuild that wall if you don't rebuild those gates the command starts with the heart and it ends with the outside of our homes. The outside that identifies us as what kind of home we are, what kind of family we are. The gates where we set up a watch and decide what comes into our homes. We decide what outside influences come in. That is where God wants you to remember him. If you start with the outside influences and you stop them there, they won't have an opportunity to get into your heart. They will not penetrate the soul and minds of your kids. We have to rebuild our defenses and set a watch at the gates. We can't just start well. We have to keep going so that the next generation can keep going. Austin, would you kill the lights for me? While we are at camp, shut them all down get it as dark as we can the side lights too the very last night at camp Joy Carpenter who runs this camp he had each of us leaders come up there and he gave us each a lantern but you know what's really incredible every leader that was at camp we were all connected somehow we were all connected so they teamed us up with Lighthouse Assembly of God from Bowie, Texas. That is my home church. That is the church that I grew up in. The church I gave my heart to Jesus in. The church I got called into ministry in. Their youth pastor that just started a month ago, I have known him since he was a baby. Jeroy Carpenter that runs the camp, I did ministry with him when I was in Master's Commission. I traveled to small towns and we did a drama called Straight to Hell. And so we stood up there and we held these lanterns up high. And in my mind, I thought about, this is a gatekeeper. This is what it looks like to be a gatekeeper. We stand outside the gate and we hold this up because we're always looking. We're holding up the light to expose the darkness. We're holding it up. We're always looking. Always watching. We don't let it go out. We can't let it go out. We have to hold it up. We have to always be looking. And to see all those leaders up there holding it up. 
So I ask you today, will you be a gatekeeper? Will you be a gatekeeper with me? Austin, you can go ahead and turn the lights back on. With every head bowed and every eye closed, that is my challenge to you today. If you felt God speaking to you, if you felt him telling you that you've got work to do in your home, or maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a parent. Nehemiah wasn't a parent. He was just someone that was burdened to do something for God. You don't have to be a parent to help change lives. So if you tell me today that I will be a gatekeeper, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. If you will be a gatekeeper today, I want you to stand. If you're willing to do something, if you're willing to build back the nation of God, if you're willing to build back your families for God, stand up this morning. Everybody look around. You are not in this alone. If Jesus can use 12 to change the world, he can use this group right here. Starting your homes. Start here. Change your life. Change your homes. And change our nation back for God. God, we just come to you today, Lord, and we are so thankful. Thankful that you burden our hearts. Thankful, God, that you put a call on our lives, Lord, to continue the work that was started. God, I pray that you give us strength to persevere. I pray that we keep going. I pray that when the lies of the enemy come against us, that we speak your truth. Lord, I pray that when we get tired, we keep going, that we hold up a shield for the generation after us, God, so that nothing can take them out, so that they can continue the work that has been started, that was started so long ago, Lord. I pray that as we leave today, that we feel challenged by your word, God, that we feel challenged, Lord, to go out and to change the world for you. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.